let us go ahead and take this time together and just really bask in your joy. It's the day before your birthday, and we know tomorrow we'll be with our families, we'll be with our friends, we'll be with our children, and we'll be filled with warmth and love, but none of that compares to the joy that you are, to the joy that radiates within us and the gift that you gave us. Lord, we just take this time and we thank you. We love you. And we just really look forward to spending this next couple of days just praising you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Merry Christmas Eve. My name is Misty. Some of you have seen me before, but I think this is the first time I've ever done announcements. <laughs> so again, Merry Christmas. Um, I want to invite all of you to come back this evening for our Christmas Eve services. We have ones at 5 and 7 p.m. tonight. So please come back and join us. Um, let's see, rest of our announcements. I'm sure you all know we don't have any of our Bible studies going on this week. Um, we won't have them until January, so keep your eye on the bulletin for when those start up again. Um, I'm going to assume maybe mid-January when we start doing that stuff again. Um, if you guys, if anyone is interested in getting baptized, go ahead and just let us know. We can get you in touch with a pastor. Go ahead and email the front desk, and we will make that happen for you. That's something very important, so... And then finally, we do have children's ministry today. I will be heading down there as soon as I'm done. So if any of the kids want to come downstairs, we're just going to hang out and sing Christmas carols, and it will be awesome. So we don't have a testimony today because it is Christmas Eve, and everyone's busy. So go ahead and stand up. Greet people. Say hello. Merry Christmas. Lots of hugs. And we'll call you back. your presence in the scripture it says that it's exalted high it says that that you're seated on a throne on a on a sea that's like glass that thunder and lightning and apparent power are before you it says Lord in your word that you hold the deed to the world words described about you are awesome are holy are perfect it says Lord in your word again that no man could cast his, his eyes before you that he would die he would surely die in Revelation all of the elders are gathered around and they're just they're throwing themselves down at you in worship over and over again and yet when you came to this world on Christmas morning, you weren't in power. You weren't exalted on high. You weren't seen as holy. You were miraculous. But you swaddled yourself in the flesh of humility. You surrounded yourself in swaddled clothes made out of fabric that you had created with your mouth. And God, you laid yourself in the feeding trough of animals. Oh, to you, the King of the world that would come down to the dust of the earth and bless us with your presence. Before that time, no one had ever seen God. 
And yet, Lord, there you were. Not in a crown, not on the top of a parade or on some throne. You were vulnerable. You were weak. You came to tell us that what's on the outside is not as important as what is on the inside because in that little child on that morning in Bethlehem, the Spirit of God was dwelling among us. For that, Lord, we praise your name. We lift you high. Oh, how good you are to us. How good you are. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this Christmas Eve day? Fantastic. Everyone's like, should we reply? Is it? Are we allowed to do this? It's a good crew for Sunday morning. As I was, I was thinking, like, I don't know what's going to I did say to the Lord, Lord, I, I bet you the hardcore Christians show up Sunday morning. You guys are, you are the real believers. You are the remnant. There, there you are. <laughs> we are happy that you are here this Sunday morning. I'm excited for today, all of the festivities. My family's in town. I, I've taken my cooking like pff, way out there. It's today and I'm thinking about eating tomorrow. There's something wrong with that. Lord says worry about today, but Lord, there's turkey in my future and stuffing and other sweet and delicious things. I'm sure that you guys are excited for your Christmas holiday as well. And I want to inform you once again, we're only having one service today, so tweet that or whatever. You're going to tell people, don't show up because we're leaving. I'm going home. But we'll be back here for our Christmas Eve service at 5 and 7 p.m. So we hope that you'd come with that. A lot of song and uh, there's going to be a lot of scripture reading and, and it'll just be a really intimate and cool uh, kind of moment. I think the trendy thing to say today is like it's a really stripped down service, you know, just like basic and raw. I don't, I'm too uncool to say stuff like that. Today's message was up here. Uh, they're working that out right now. It's entitled Good and Evil, A Light Christmas Message. You know, <laughs> When I, uh, just because of the craziness of the week and all the stuff that goes on in, in our worlds during ministry, you know, you need to pray for your, uh, your leader, Alex, and the other leaders in the city during the Christmas season. And the, the need for people to have ministry in their life goes up during this time. And it can be taxing. It can be trying during this time. I know many of the pastors in the city, as I was praying last night, were up late at hospitals or ministering to their congregation because this is a time of family. This is a time of celebration. But for some it's a time of brokenness and loneliness and, and some of these other things. So be praying for, for our, our, our body, our beloved, and, and for those who are, are leading us, the shepherds. But Alex had asked me to, to preach this week, and I was excited about it, it being Christmas. And then he brings this uh, small caveat saying that he wants me to stay in the book of Romans. <laughs> and to be honest with you, at first, I was a little bummed out about that. I wanted to talk about manger and Bethlehem and, and all of these things. You know, when I got here, I wanted to be true to two things. I didn't ever want to treat you as like 
stupid or lesser or uneducated in any way. Sometimes leadership up front does that. And the second thing, I always wanted to, to stick to the truth. To preach the word and nothing else. Don't let politics or seasons or holidays or stuff happening in culture determine what the word of God is doing. Just give them the truth. That you are all smarter than I will ever be and that you will smell fake a mile away. And Alex has given me liberty in the past to, to, to just kind of run with those two things. Sometimes when I get up here, it's a little different. I can see you guys like, man, what is he doing? <laughs> and I'm so thankful that his leadership has allowed me to do that. And this week I was like, hey man, you're kind of putting the reins on me. What are you doing? I, I'm like a stallion. I need to run. I never said that out loud, but I was thinking it. <laughs> and I got to be honest, man. I, I got to give a shout out to Alex. I said I was going to do this to him this morning. Um... He is our leader and our shepherd, and, and the Lord has given him a mantle, and he trusts in the Spirit of God to use uh, him as a vessel for wisdom. And he asked me to stay in Romans, and I cannot thank him enough because this is, like I like top ten lists. We Americans, we list things. You ever notice that? Like top tens all the time. This is like my top ten study weeks ever. It was so awesome to get through uh, Romans chapter 12. So, as a result, we're not going to talk about Christmas stuff at all. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 12, and I might make some quick connections to it, but I'm going to force you guys, if you want those Christmas fuzzy feelings, you've got to come back tonight. Because today, my remnant hardcore Christians, we are just going to talk about uh, what's next in the Word of God as we go through the book of Romans. Is that okay with each of, of you? Okay, that's great. Okay, let's get into... Uh, the scripture, I got to say, I went through Romans 1 through 21 in my study. But today, we're going to talk about one scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. That'll be the only thing in our scripture today. Now, it's important that when you read the word and you study the word, not to just take one scripture out and leave it on an island by itself. You can create thinking and thoughts and understanding, comprehension about the Word of God that is not true when we hold Scripture to be by itself. And so as a result, we're going to read verses 1 through 21 to provide context for us today, and then we will uh, just focus on verse 9. Does that sound okay? Okay, if you don't have your uh, Bibles with you, it should be up on the screen. They're working on it. Um, in the meantime, we're going to read Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 9. This is Paul speaking to the church at Rome. Pardon me, 1 through 21. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is so good. That part's not in the Bible. That's just me. So, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we all have our members of... Sorry, just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we are many and are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members of one another. Since we have gifts 
This is harder to do reading in public than you may ever think. Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberty. He who gives with liberty. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know about you, but that's just like really, really good stuff. If you're a studier of the Word, you can see a, a great and, and clear parallel from the scripture we just read in Romans chapter 12 to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. It's this, it's this a listing of the gifts or what we should do followed shortly by an appeal to love. The Lord wants to do things through you and I, and He's gifted you to do so. Did you know that when you were converted, the moment of your converted, or conversion, you were given a spiritual gift? You were given a gift by the Lord in addition to your salvation. But you're in order to use it, you must use it in a matter according to the Spirit of God. It is not like a superpower where you get the decision to use it for good or evil. These are not the spiritual gifts that the Lord is talking about. It's, it's, an, it's an unction by the Spirit that He controls, that He deems when you can and cannot use it. And it always is pressed through the medium of love. In the writing of Paul to the Romans, up to this point in the letter, you may be frustrated because he offers very few practical steps from chapter 1 through chapter 11. I wrote this down just as like a funny note in my study. I, this is actually written or quoted from the, from the margins of my own Bible. I, it's just like a joke. I said, if I was there then during that time in Rome, I would, said, I would have written a letter to Paul saying this. Very nice letter so far, friend. I really appreciate the insight and you make some great points. But if you're going to write these letters and never show me what I should be doing or what I should be doing next in response, then I'm going to stop reading. 
And then I added after my study in his, uh, like, like what Paul would respond to me. And his response, hypothetically, would be this. My brother, I have seen you haven't gotten to chapter 12. <laughs> because chapter 12 is heaped full of the practical application of what you and I, the Christian, the body of Christ, the beloved, should do. And for many years, 10 years or so, I think, I ministered to college, high school, and middle school students. The number one question was, how do I get a wife or a husband? The number two question was, what is the will of God for my life? What should I be doing? How does this Christian life work? Romans chapter 12 is the answer to that question. Now, I must warn you, you might bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> because you could spend the rest of your life, like I'm going to show you today, we're going to spend 40 minutes or 30 minutes or however long it is, talking about one verse in Scripture. Because this is such a packed set. Like I said, I couldn't get past one verse. Okay, so let's jump in. We're going to focus on verse 9. We can go to the next slide here. Maybe. It says this. Chapter 9 is broken into three different, or pardon me, verse 9 is broken into three separate parts. The first is, let love be without hypocrisy. We're going to break down the verbiage and the understanding, the construction of this language. And then I'm going to come back to verse 9. I'm going to make four observations about this verse. So first, let's learn about the verse. First, we understood what the context of the Scripture is. Paul is identifying what the Christian should be doing in the body of Christ. Now let's understand the construction of the language. It's important when you study... Not only to know what is being said, but how it's being said. You and I know how to speak English, but what I found in my own study is I don't know very well how my language is constructed. And if I'm ever going to grasp and understand the intent of the author, not only do I have to know what the words mean, but I have to know what they mean in that order. It's important that we study the Word of God. There are many tools out there that can help you do that. I'm not saying to you today, your Christmas present is to learn Greek. It's just to get a lexicon. <laughs> so the first word here, and an important one at that, is let. Let is the verb or the word allow. Allow is not something that is mustered up. It is something outside that is coming to aid us. In other words, we are not conjuring, we are not making, we are not creating, we are not forcing love. We are allowing love. It's an offering to help you with something when you let something happen to you. This is a crazy word here, too. The second word is love. Love is the word agape. Now, there are many ver or versions of the word love, but the tense here is agape, the God love, the pure love, or um, in the Greek, the understanding or the, the theme is the genuine love. In Romans 5.5, 5, in Romans 8.35, in Romans 8.39, Paul, up to this point in chapter 12, uses the word agape um, those times, and every one of them, he's describing God's love towards us. This is the first and only time in the book of Romans when he uses the love of God, the genuine love, in reference to us loving one another. Beloved, do you know that you have the love of God in your heart? Not just physical love, not just friendship love, not just admiration. As it's described here 
God's love is described as a sacrificial love that is pure in every way. It is genuine. As an example, uh, as a, something I've witnessed recently, described in earthly terms by the love that a mother has for a newborn child is an agape love. No introduction, no relation on, hey, what do you like, what do I like? A child is born and he or she is loved. There is a connection by a mother that is pure and undeniable. It's genuine. It is the agape love. Let agape love be without hypocrisy. 2 Corinthians 6, 6 says this. Uh, Paul speaking out, uh, to the church about us. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in, your version probably says, in genuine love. In the pure love of God. He offers this love, the Lord does, to us. Now let's talk about hypocrisy, the big word of the day. The King James Version says, let your love be without dissimulation. That's an old word. That's like a word you'd find in a movie that Jerry and Veronica would like. That's like black and white movie love. <laughs> I thought about it when I said, I said I'm going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Greek word here is anapuriktos. It means hypocrites. Now, we in the English world, in the common or the traditional world today, the modern world, have, have manipulated the word hypocrite to slow, closely be related to just like a liar. You said one thing and you did another. And that, that's partially true, but it's not the full concept of the word. If you'd allow me for a second, I want to help us bring what Paul was thinking when he wrote hypocrisy down. The word hypocrisy is an ancient word. In the Greek, it means actor. A, hip, a hypocrite in the ancient day is a professional pretender. The evil character in a play or in the cinema of the time, plays and paintings, man, those were like the it. That was the most trendy form of art in the world at the time. The evil character would wear a mask. And the idea was that the, the mask would be identified as an evil person. Right? No director, Shakespeare wasn't looking for a person that looked evil. What a weird thing. But he would find somebody that could act and then he'd put the evil mask on them. And that person would be the hypocrite. In other words, to be a hypocrite is to have a mask. Often in this acting, they would play two roles. Well, they would have one role with the mask on and then they'd play a different character with the mask off. Actors, as you know, are not only found on the stage or in film. Actors are found in our workplace. Professional pretenders are found even in this very church. The word hypocrite is where we get the term two-faced. Mask on and mask off. The actors of the church are pretending to praise God on the outside but inside, something different is happening. Do we see how unpure that is? Purity means one thing. Untouched, right? There's no other thing with it. When we are a hypocrite, we are two things or more. Let your love be without pretending. Let your love be without anything else. Let your love be without hypocrisy. 
The Lord says, I give you my love. The, the love that I have for this world, this perfect and pure love, I offer it to you when you receive me in faith as a part of my grace and sanctification. I give what I have to you in fullness. Don't add anything else to it. Don't let your love be two-faced. Don't let your love be hypocritical. Jesus used the word hypocrite a lot. Here's a study tip. This is for free. You don't have to pay me for this or give me like banana bread. I've been on banana bread lately. I don't know why. I like banana bread. That's, that's also something for you to know. <laughs> when Jesus defines a word, man, just run with that definition. <laughs> when he says this is what a hypocrite is, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. God cannot lie. He, all he can do is produce truth. And so when Webster says something, that's good and great and probably a good general rule. But when Jesus says something, run with that. Jesus used the word hypocrite often in the scripture. In Matthew 15, 17. Actually, let's just turn there real quick. Matthew 15, 17. He says this. Pardon me, hold on. Am I in the right script? I might have wrote this down wrong. <laughs> that has nothing to do with hypocrisy. <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. But I do know where hypocrisy is by memory. Matthew 23 is called the eight woes. We're just going to jump right ahead to that. If you want to stay in the book of Matthew, you can move to Matthew 23. This is commonly referred to as the eight woes. Paul, uh, Jesus is referring to the uh, 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 Pharisees as hypocrites, as being two-faced. He's saying, you, you worship God on the outside, but your inside is something different. And I want to focus on Matthew 23, 23 as the example for today. Sorry about that. Um... That misquotation uh, there. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, might not, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a, cam a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 25. For you're clean on the outside of the cup and of the dish, and the inside is full of robbery and self-indulgence. You hypocrites. He's not trying to like call, let me think of a bad name to call them. He's speaking the truth. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm telling you what you are. You are one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. Beloved, it's good to serve. It's good to pray, it's good to read, it's good to worship, it's good to tithe, it's good to go to church, it's good to care for others, it's good to minister, it's good to preach, it's good to evangelize, it's good to love your neighbor, but if it is not genuine, it is not good. It is a work of the flesh, the exterior, the hypocritical mask, and it is not pure. This Christmas we provide presents for people and that's a good thing. But my concern is that we do it out of obligation. We do it out of tradition. 
Not because the Spirit of God compels us to do so. Let your love be without hypocrisy. One final warning here. Doctrine, good, strong doctrine, is not pure love. You can know the right things and not do the right thing. You can know the Word and not do the Word. You can have strong doctrine and still be a hypocrite. Think about the rich young ruler whenever I think about that. The rich young ruler is the story of a man who approaches Jesus and he, he approaches the Lord and says that he's a good teacher. He says that he knows the word. Jesus replies back to him. He says, you know, you know how to get to heaven because you know the good things. He says, one thing you lack. He's pointing out his hypocrisy. And the moment comes when this rich young ruler can lay down his hypocritical mask and become a part of the invitation that Christ only gave to 12 other people. That is a disciple. Take, come and follow me is what he says to the rich young ruler. And what does the man do? He lays aside the invitation and he takes his hypocrisy down with him. Hypocrisy is selfish and unjust. I want to read this scripture here. This is uh, Luke 13, 14 through 17. You can just listen here. But the synagogue official, um, who's frustrated with Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath, was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, be, um, began to say to the crowd in response, there are six days in which the work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath unite his ox, untie, pardon me, his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all of his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing all the glorious things he had been done by him. I love that last part. Jesus is saying, you're selfish. You want to show this purity. You're a hypocrite. You show this purity towards the Sabbath. But when it's your donkey, when it's your life at stake, when it's your illness, you will forego the Sabbath to do what you want to do. Isn't it right to do what the Lord would ask us to do? You are the hypocrite, not I. Be hypocritical at its core is selfishness. It's not that you can't struggle. It's not that you can't wrestle with the Lord. It's not that you can't find repentance and confession. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but we can be genuine. Well, Beck, what kind of love is there without hypocrisy? Show me an example where, where man has done this. Luke 22. Uh, I think it's verse... 40 or so. I'm certain about that. Sorry about the last one. 42 maybe where the, where the Lord is in the garden and he's praying and he asks the Lord, let this cup pass from me. He's not being hypocritical. He's being genuine. This is not going to be fun. This is going to be hard. And then he says, let your will be done. His love was not without hypocrisy. He came with a mission to serve God and that is exactly what he was going to do Un. To his death. Okay, so we know about let, love, and hypocrisy. We're good? We're going to go quickly through the next two phrases here, and then we're going to get to our four observations. Are we doing okay? 
Okay. Okay. Abhor. Abhor what is evil. Abhor is the word apostugo. It means to hate violently. Be disgusted with. Find repugnant hate or be indignant toward. This is a violent, passionate word. In, in other words, this is the only time Paul uses it in the whole book of Romans. He's doing that for emphasis. He's trying to find a word that's greater than all the other words he's used so far. And he finds a bore. Evil is paneros. It means wicked, guilty. We understand the word uh, evil pretty well. It means malicious, wrong, or vicious. Hate what is evil. And then it says, as a barbell effect on the other side, it says hold fast or cling to what is good. The word here is kolao. I like that kolao. It kind of sounds like Hawaiian kolao. Kolao literally means glued. Some of your scripture will say cling to. Some of it will say hold fast. It means cemented or glued together. And to good. Be glued to good. Atheos. Generous. Abundant. Kind. Or goodness. It's a moral meaning, though. I don't want us to think about like the goodness that's in us. Like, like grandmas that bake cookies, they're so good. It's not that kind of goodness. Or like candies taste so good. It's good in the moral concept. Making the right decision. Choosing a good work. That's the kind of goodness that he's talking about. So we have, let your love not be without hypocrisy. Be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, let's make some observations about this. The first observation is this. God, what do you want? We get into this phase of our life where we wonder what the will of God is. We're often asking, God, what do you want us to do? What decision should I make? We go to the Word of God to find statements or to find an understanding, and we read something like this. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And we think, well, that's too simple to be the answer, so we move right over it. Don't be so quick. Slow down. Let this Word marinate. Let it soak into you a little bit as it's done with me this week. The first observation is about the will of God. There are times in our life when we are trying to work something out, and we're looking for something written in the Word of God that clearly states what we should do. In other words, we're looking for His will. It can be so hard to find. But there are other times, like this, when, the, when what is pleasing to God is so clearly laid out. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Doesn't that comfort you in some level? It does for me. I don't know anything. I don't know a lot. I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know. I don't know. This is how I live most of my life. I'm just right here. I don't know. But I do know this. That God loves clinging to what is good. Man, there's just something good about that. Loving genuinely, abhorring evil, clinging to good. God is well pleased by these things. And we can't just like shell to the side the intensity of these words. Cling to, the only other time Paul references this word cling to is when he's talking about sexual union. I mean, this is a passionate, animated word. You have a bore, which is this violent, kind of grotesque word, and cling to on the other side to balance out this portion between good and evil. 
He's using these words of emphasis to say, this is how you should feel about good and evil. If you're saved by God, I wrote this down, his expectation would be that you would love what he loves and hate what he hates, and that you would do both with the same intensity that he does. God is well pleased by those who abhor and cling. These are intense, intimate, passionate word. Things that are good you cling to like man clings to his wife on his wedding night. Things that are bad you find repugnant and treat with discrimination and indignation. Luke 14, 26, we talk about this a lot. The Lord Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and brother and sister, wife and children, and yes, even his very life, he cannot be my disciple. We have to love what he loves. And we have to hate what he hates. But listen, church, you can't just love what he loves like you love stuff. You can't hate what he hates however you want to determine to hate it. We need to hate and love the way he hates and love. I want to feel about things the way God feels about things. And I want to be unapologetic about my passion towards them. Because God, that's what you want. The next observation. Observation two. The thing about participles. Participles is a funny for, for a form of the English language, of language and its construction. Like I mentioned, it's important to know how language is constructed. A participle is, is an adjective, but it's also kind of a verb. And if there was a participle sitting in the front of the pew right here, I'd say, hey, participle, you know the first question I'd ask him? What do you work for? What are you connected to? I feel like I'm like the, what's that old television show, the, the schoolhouse rock? <laughs> I'm trying to explain. I have to go, I have to reference those on YouTube to learn English again. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm struggling with this stuff too. I'd ask the participle, what are you connected to? The words abhor and hold fast in this sentence are participles. They bridge two things together. The question is, what? The action part of the participles is, a, is, is describing what we do, right? We, a boar doesn't describe what evil is. A boar is describing what we do with evil. Holding fast doesn't describe what good is. A boar, holding fast describes what we do with it. I think you understand the point. But what do these words describe? We know what they bring action to, but now on the other end of the bridge, what do they describe? Love. They're describing... Now, this is important. I know you guys are like, hey, this is not English class, this is church, what are you doing? This is important. If you want to study the Word of God, we've got to know how this stuff works. The participle is connecting the two. He's not making three separate statements. Um, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Love what is good. It's not a list. I wrote this thing here down, this down just like this. This... If I read the verse like this, I have taken great care to not disjoint or manipulate the meaning of the intent of Paul, the author. But you could read this verse just like this, and it would be his intent. Allow love to be without hypocrisy by loving what is good and abhorring what is evil. You want to know how to love without hypocrisy? Lord, how do I? That would be my question. Let your love be without hypocrisy. How? Hey, teacher? Teacher? 
Tell me how to do that. The answer would be by boring, by getting away from evil and clinging to what is good. To do these things is to love. To love is to hate. Jude 1.23 says this, Hate the very garment that touches the flesh. What a small thing. Listen, guys, if you're pirating music, you are not a boring evil. It may seem simple or small. If you're invading on your taxes, you are not a boring evil. You are not being passionately, intimately glued to what is good. I am on the side of good, and I am against what is evil. When we, when we, when we move ourselves into the gray, we become the dictators of what is good and what is, e- or what is evil. This is not our job. There are things in each of our lives where we look in the mirror and we call ourselves good and then we look at our list, we would stand before God and would you want to stand before God with these things? Do you feel about evil the way God feels about evil? Because if you want to love, you've got to cling to what is good in such a way that you cling to nothing else. And you've got to hate what is evil. Next one, observation number three. Which is which? What is evil and what is good? It sounds like a, like a philosophy class. That's how I'd open it up. <laughs> Here's a brain grenade for you. Tell me what good is. <laughs> Y'all get Fs. <laughs> Isn't it scary that at times there are those in the church and even me at points in my life in maturity with the Lord when I'm praying or listening to the Spirit and I don't know if I'm hearing the Spirit of God or a demon? Man, what a scary thought when we're unsure of whether or not we should do something when we're trusting in the Lord to do it. I'm going to tell you what evil is. You want to know what evil is? It's super simple. You can write this down. This is free also. Evil is sin. That's what it is. The Lord cannot sin and there is no evil in Him. Anything that's apart from Him, He abhors. Because anything that's with Him is perfect in love. You want to know what good is? The will of God. The will of God is what is good and that is it. Doing good things is not good if they are are detached in any way from the will of God. There is no such thing as an objective evil. Evil is evil. You don't get to decide what evil is. I don't get to decide what good things are. These are ordained by God. Uh, if you want to turn to Romans real quick, uh, 12, 1 and 2, we can repeat this again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mis- uh, mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of ser- uh, uh, worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. In other words, conform yourself to the will of God so that you can do good, so that you can prove what good is. It's important that you know the difference between right and wrong. I tell you what, I pray for my son all the time. People pray for like, you know, put him in the NFL, make him a genius, whatever. I pray for like two things. I don't know why, but this is just what comes out when I think about him. Lord, let him come to faith at a young age. Man, that is like on me. That he would come to know Jesus, not because of, not even attached, nothing to do with me or my wife, or this church, but him and Jesus intimately. That that would happen. I pray for the most boring testimony in the world. Please, Jesus. 
And the second thing that I've been praying, Lord, I pray that you show him what good and evil is. I want my son, I don't care if he knows calculus, I, I mean, that, that, all that stuff is cool, but I want my son to know what good and evil is and the difference. And I'll tell you what, that's harder to do today than we may have had in the past. But after this study, you know what my, my, my new prayer is? I want him to feel and act the same way about good and evil that you do, Lord. I want my son to be a poster of not just the doctrine of right and wrong, but the emotion tied to it. The worth associated that Jesus took to the cross to clearly lay out what is good and what is evil. We're not saying today if you abhor it, then it's evil. That's not true. Or if you like it, then it's good. We are to conform to the Word of God. Conform to the will of God. Not, be, not control it. Not determine it in any way. And that's why we up here um, in the pulpit need to be very careful. I'm almost done here. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this. I want to talk about our nature for a second. I didn't know if I wanted to do this, but we're going to. Did you know that your nature is naturally in love with evil? Man, it's like, it's just what it spits out. Isaiah says in, in, in Isaiah 5.20, You call evil good and good evil. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way which seems right to man, but is in the end the way of death. We find which is which. Not by feeling inside or trusting our heart or you know, just feeling it. None of that stuff is crap. We find which is good and which is evil by the will of God, and we learn that by the Word of God. If this is the, the most important thing in the world to you, you ought to know it in and out. Do yourself a New Year's resolution or buy yourself a Christmas present, man. Be devoted to this Word. Not because in some way this, these pages and this book, is, this, isn't, this isn't the Word of God. The Word of God is this eternal, living, breathing, powerful, life-transforming thing that will teach you what is good and help you do it through the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. Last thought here on this, on this subject. The evil we see in this world have all been birthed out of seeds of thought that let go of absolute truths. That's kind of like poetic. I wrote that down. I probably should have phrased it down. In other words, before the Nazis were massacring people, you know what they were doing? They were getting rid of truth. You can't make decisions like that when you are held to a truth. And when we so loosely hold the Word of God in our own life, when we get to determine what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad, well, this isn't really that bad or this isn't really all that good or all that important, we begin to loosely hold on to what God is calling absolutely true. We must clean, we must hold with white knuckles over those seeds of truth and never let them go. Because they will, they will, they will sprout something in us that changes the world. That which is pure and good. Okay, last observation here. Are we doing okay? Merry Christmas. This is like heavy. This is a Christmas gift for your soul. You're going to hate me, but the spirit in you is like, amen. Just please, God, make that so. <laughs> Observation four. Abhorring thyself. What do we do if we discover that we are the 
evil we should be hating. Mm. This has been big on me. The Lord's been dealing with me about being a little boy. I'm like, Lord, I'm a man. No, you're acting like a little boy. <laughs> little grown men don't say, I don't want to, like I have been to the Lord. Lord asked me to do something, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's a conversation I have. What a pathetic thing, right? And he's showing me that it's evil, it's sin in me, and I should abhor it if I want to align myself with the Spirit. It's funny on its face, but it's, man, it's digging me open inside. What if I love evil? You know, this scripture alone, just this verse, if I just read it to you in like a Hallmark card, it's not going to change you. This sermon certainly isn't going to change you. Only faith in Christ will change you. That's what hypocrisy is at its core. It's unbelief. It's believing that God can't truly see the heart of man so I can act on the outside and get the benefits from God like he doesn't see the heart. It's, it's unbelief. It's faithlessness. And on the other side, if we want to be transformed, if we want to be departed from our nature, which is evil, only faith in Christ by his grace can do that. You can say to me, well, Beck, I believe. I'm praying for an increase in your belief. I'm praying for a deeper death of your flesh. I'm praying for you aligning yourself with God in spite of yourself. Transformation is required to abhor sin, and you cannot transform yourself. The Word of God is not a self-help program, man. You need something else. You need to let love work on you. Galatians 6.8. Here's some scripture to back this up. I love this. For the one who sows into his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you are investing even in a small and incremental way into your flesh, you are falling in a deeper state of love with what is evil. And the product of that, your payout, is corruption. But if you deny yourself and invest into God, invest into what the Spirit has for you, you will inherit eternal life. But we have to abhor it. Ephesians 4, 22-24 is some of the greatest set of Scripture I've ever read. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which, which being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The Lord is saying you are driving a broken machine. You're trying to get up this rocky, deep, steep terrain to the mountain of God, and the machine called your flesh is hard to drive. It's rickety, and it strays to the left and to the right, and the engine breaks down, and it falls into temptation into these pits along the road. And we're frustrated with God because we have this broken machine, and we're, and we're praising God because we want to be close to Him, and we're divided in our own flesh. And this is somebody, something someone said to me earlier that I believe the Lord says to us. Just trade me. I have a better machine for you. I have something that will benefit you. I, understand, I know your machine is broken, but I have paid and made a way for a better machine. Just trade me. It drives so much better than the one you have. It abhors evil, and it clings to what is good. There are times when we see evil out in front of us. It's separate from us. It's, I'm here, and evil's over there, and that is a true thing. We need to abhor that as well.
things in the news and we see in the world. But I think it's important for us to remember that sometimes we ourselves, the ones that we need to abhor, that we hated God and God hated our sin. Man, that we need to we need we were we were fighting God and God was going to fight with us. And when we've been transformed, when we abhor ourselves, we get to rise again with him in this new temple that he rose up on the third day. Colossians 3 says that Paul says he mortifies the flesh. Romans says that he makes his flesh his slave. He hates these things. Okay. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come up? Are we doing okay? What, Mary, man, Merry Christmas. You guys are like, oh, this was a bummer. I thought we were doing like jingle bells or something. Come back tonight. It'll be a lot better. Uh, let's go to the next uh, slide here. We're going to bring the worship team up. We're going to get ready for our offering. It would not be a Beck Easton sermon without a C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis quote. I'm sorry. I just had to do it. This is awesome. You need to read this. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I have made, make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial, a trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. We can't just hate the big hates, the big evils. We have to hate the little, what does the word say here? Trivial indulgences as well. I want to bring up our offering here. We're going to get ready to pray. Um... I got that text message, but I didn't. Okay, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for the offering. We're going to get ready for this worship time. And I believe that there's something the Lord wants us, the big, the us, to do. Now, I don't know what that is yet, but we're going to pray and figure that out. While you're praising, when the offering basket comes by, you can put what you need to in. Uh, today is the offering for the church. Tonight is the offering for the widows in the community. So if you want to bring your offering to give to a widow in the community, you can certainly do that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your will, and we thank you for being only good. Lord, I pray today that you muster up in our hearts through the Spirit of God and the grace that you provided by your work on the cross that we could cling to you. The song has reminded me, Lord, that we cling to the old rugged cross. That I attach myself, I glue myself to that moment. And I pray that we all here do the same. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We've said this many times before in the church, and it's of the utmost importance. That if you're in the front of the room or you're, you're called pastor, you are not. There is no priest and laity. It is, it is the saints. It is the body of Christ and the gifting that each of us have been given. My gifting is to teach. That's why I'm up here. But I submit to you all in so many other ways. And as a result, we a body, we need, as a body, we need each other. So it's why we appeal to the body for this corporate time of ministry. What do we do with what the Lord just gave us through the Word? And uh, Rick Richter uh, believes he has the administration for what we do today. 
uh, together. So I, I just pray that you would listen up to him and then after that we'll, we'll do our closing. Thank you. Hello? Um, great word. That was a great word. That was a great word. Nothing, nothing took away from the Christmas story, but nothing made it <clears throat> kind of heavy in the light of, um, you know, there's something about the truth. The Bible says that if you know the truth, it what? Man, it liberates you, it sets you free. All of us have something, not that we're dealing with like, oh, it's a struggle, but sometimes it's this, this nagging piece that, that that won't refresh. Maybe it's something in our family. Maybe it's something in us. All right. In Revelation 22, it talks about this river, uh, this river of life that flows from from God's throne. The picture of this is back in Ezekiel 47, where uh, Ezekiel sees this water, this stream coming from um, the temple. And this, it just it just gets deeper and wider and deeper, and as it flows from this place, it's it's not deep at all. And pretty soon, it's so deep you can swim in it, and it flows through the desert. All right, you take the Colorado River here in Colorado. By the time it gets to the California, you know what it is. It's not even a it's not even a trickle because that that evaporation just takes up that water. And this water. And Ezekiel just gets deeper and wider and it goes through the desert and you know where it hits next? It hits the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is so salty that it, it nothing lives in it. it, it it's, there's nothing, there's no bugs or algae or fish in this Dead Sea. And yet it, this water, it says, flows into the Dead Sea and makes it fresh. To where there are fishing villages now along its shores. There's trees, the fruit trees that are blooming and, and producing fruit along its banks. You know, sometimes in in our own prayer for ourselves, it's like training ourselves for the Olympics. We would, you know, let me tell you something. If we trained ourselves for the Olympics, we'd mess up. Because we'd either be too hard on ourselves or we'd, we'd be too light on ourselves or whatever it might be. It takes sometimes somebody else to help us. That they say something that just, they could never have known that. And for the person praying for that person, they're not trying to be profound. So this morning, could we be family for just a second? All right. Nobody's compelled to do anything. But maybe it's time for you to go to somebody that you don't know that well. And just sit next to them. Don't ask them what they need. Just pray whatever strikes you to pray for. Your prayer may, your prayer may be three words. Lord bless them. <laughs> and that's all you got. That's all right. But just, just ask God to give you something for each other. Why don't you give a gift to each other? Will that be okay? Why don't you look around the room? Go ahead and make your head rotate a little bit. All right. Nobody has to do any of this. All right. I'm just saying you get to. Because this peace about abhorring and this peace about not evil, this peace about it, it's this stuff that keeps life from happening. And let that river kind of roll in you today. So why don't you uh, let me pray for you, and then why don't you pray for each other? 
And then we'll go on to those 10,000 things we need to do. All right. So, Father, we bless you and we thank you for today. That you are the river of life. You are that river. Jesus, you said that if anyone believes in you, that out of their innermost being will come rivers of living water. And so, Father, for this little moment that we have together, we'll, we'll never be this group ever again, just like this. Help us, Father, just be a blessing to one another. And, Father, we may need to receive prayer. We may need to give it. But let, let Father, there be health and life in your, in your house. So, Lord, we bless you for this. We thank you for this. We, don't, we can't go to Costco and get something for each other because we come, as we've come today, we come bearing gifts. And so, Lord, we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Why don't you, why don't you find somebody? thing to share with you before we close for today. You know, and all the things that denominations all over the world pray about and debate about and argue about and go to war over, none of them go to war over the goodness of God. God is good. And He is who we cling to. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We wish you all the most merry of Christmases, and we pray that we would see you back tonight for our Christmas Eve celebration. You are all free to go, and God bless. Thanks a lot.